All right. Before we begin the podcast, I want to talk to you about Indochino. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more. And everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. I just recently bought a suit, went to the store. It took like two hours. You're reliant on everyone's help. With Indochino, it's simple. Choose your fabric, pick your customizations, submit your measurements. Package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom or do it yourself at Indochino.com. Right now, you can get 30 bucks off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com. Promo code BLUEWIRE for $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more. It's an incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. It is December 5th. We record on Thursday nights. My partner, John, no baby here yet. Baby is coming on Sunday. Uh, was it the 8th? Yeah, Sunday the 8th at 1235. Oh, wow. Yeah, That's plan, exciting. Plan C-section. So it was decided by our doctor and my wife and... Um, that's the best way to go because with Hunter, our, our youngest, you know, was a, a tough delivery and it's just, you know, and then this Kaylee is measuring like over eight pounds now. So, but I didn't know that was the name. That's yeah. Kaylee Elise LaRocca. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. So definitely send pictures to the group and all that and keep everyone updated and should we go, should we go good? So I'm. Taking off three weeks of work. I'm looking forward to that, but I'll be <laughs> doing a lot of work, daddy work at home, though, but I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Um, okay, so Fight Game Podcast, which I consider a nice cross-section uh, of discussion about pro wrestling, boxing, and MMA. And to, uh, today, tonight, today, tonight, we are brought to you by Indochino, the ad that you just heard, Harry's, and Ship Station. We also consider ourselves a community-driven podcast, as the Facebook group that John just mentioned is a big part of what we do. You can find that pinned at the at Fight Game Media Twitter account. Uh, there's lots of stuff t- uh, pinned on that on that tweet where you can find the podcast, just where you can find us on social media and all that stuff. So please subscribe. If you have uh, an iPhone or you listen through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review. You know, just like uh, your match of the year from 2019, five stars. Um, so what we're going to do is uh, preview a little bit of what we're going to do. John and I are going to talk about the uh, the Wednesday shows that just happened and, and sort of break them down uh, from our perspective. Then I'm going to bring on Carlos Toro from Fightful.com. He writes about boxing and pro wrestling at Fightful. He and I recorded an interview uh, yesterday, so it would have been Wednesday, and we go over the Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz fight from Saudi Arabia that's upcoming, uh, the rematch from the huge upset that which uh, Andy Ruiz won uh, all of 
Joshua's belts. So that's a big fight this week, and it's not really getting... I feel like it's not getting the amount of coverage that it probably deserves because it is in Saudi Arabia and it's not in the U.S. Um, so that's uh, probably part of it. Um, and also, the one other thing I wanted to mention, which is uh, we talked about our next next year in 2020, the historical slant to the podcast is going to be based on Ric Flair. This year we did it. We did 1993 Raw. And next year we are going to focus on Ric Flair, devote a month to a storyline or a match of Flair with historical importance um, and something that we just really enjoy and we want to go deep into. And in order to catch up, everyone up to where you know, where, where, where we will be. I'm going to post the first three shows we did, which were solo shows. Our original plan was to do this as kind of like a second podcast, you know, once a month or so. And it just, we just didn't have the time for it. So the idea is still there. It'll slightly change, but we did, we did produce three shows um, for three Ric Flair matches. So I'm going to post those as second podcasts starting next week and through the end of the year so that everyone sort of gets a an understanding of what we're trying to do and then it'll lead up into the next uh the the uh, january version of the we want flair uh segment that will uh we'll have four of them for january and then we'll we'll change the match and do february and we'll go all the way through the year so we'll have 12 matches angles you know to to cover so that's going to be a lot of fun um, but, uh, but yeah, so that gets that out of the way and we can now just talk about, uh, the Wednesday night war stuff. But before that, John Morrison resigns with WWE. What were your thoughts on him resigning and, uh, what do you think they're going to do with him? Well, I think he's going to be a main roster guy for sure. I think he's going to either go to SmackDown or Raw. I, I put out the question where he should go on their Facebook group, and I'm still debating it. I think I think SmackDown might be the best choice. I think they need some, some little more talent on that show to kind of change, you know, mix things up a little bit. So I could definitely see him going there. Uh, he sh- I would think he'd be babyface early on, but they definitely they feel weak on the heel side of that SmackDown show. Now, granted, it's been a couple weeks since I watched it because I try to make plans to watch it, but I'm always like, I just get too tired and I just end up like deleting my my DVR recording of it. But um, but I think I think SmackDown would be would be best right now for him. I agree, and I do. I do think he'll be main roster as well. But I think it would be cool instead of debuting him on Raw or SmackDown, he actually debuts on NXT and has like a dream match at the February Takeover, and then he comes up. Like they could do like a one-off thing. I think that would be an awesome way to uh, to pump up that Takeover a little bit. Though I mean they they have to, they have really good stuff already there, and they probably actually are going to have to keep guys off of that show. Or you know, know, who 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 will deserve it? Or no, would be a good spot for him too. Is like. You know, they they now see sign, of course, but don't really talk about him. Maybe, or maybe just show some vignettes or something like that, some hype videos leading up on both shows, and then at the Rumble, he's a surprise entrant and and does well. He doesn't win it, but he does like really well. Maybe his final four or you know something like that would, and then he ends up being like a hot free agent. And who is he going to go to? And he ends up, you know, you know, I would put him on SmackDown. 
All right, so let's talk about these shows. Um, I wrote, I don't usually take notes during these shows, but there were things that really stood out that I wanted to make sure that I actually uh, talked about. And let's uh, let's talk about AEW first, because I think there were some fun things that happened, like some nice highs, but also some really bad lows to me. And I thought actually NXT was the the better show for the second week in a row, at least for me. And the first thing that stands out is we are in faction hell on that show. And I don't I don't have any reason to care about the factions yet. And I know that is coming, but they all seem so similar to me that. I, I, I'm, I'm just confused, and, and I wonder if they're all connected in some weird way. But as of today, the only faction that I feel... Um, actually, I guess you could count the Elite as a, as a second faction, but the, you know, the Inner Circle is the one that, that is the main event, guys. And so these other three factions, whether it's the Butcher and the Blade and the Bunny or um, Brandy Rhodes' Nightmare Family or uh, the, um, the Dark Order, like I'm just like... Oh, okay. Until I know more of the story, I just really don't care about these guys. Yeah, I agree. I think those are like the three weakest segments where the uh, the faction segments be- being the ones you talked about, the bunny, the butcher, the blade, which I just can't stand. I love the name, the butcher and the blade. I just don't like the butcher, the blade and the bunny. It just <laughs> it just. And then it, Cody called them by their real names. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like blew them off. And then it was, then it was like, then it was like, I'm like, you know, you could pick any partner for me, whatever. And it's like it's almost like he was kind of like irritated that angle happened you know, or something, maybe, you know, I don't know. It just, it just, I, I think it was a pandering to the independent, uh, some of the independent organizations because he did mention beyond and he bar, did mention and bar. bar. Yeah. And so, you know, pandering, that sounds negative. I didn't really mean it that way, but I think he wanted to shout out the independent folks because there is a, um, that is part of the charm for AEW is those folks who watch beyond and who watch the independent wrestling streaming channel they they really like the AEW product I'm generalizing but a lot of the folks who I know watch independent stuff they they that's the one that they watch is AEW over WWE so I think I think that there's something to that but yeah I'm just I'm just like I, I know we we have time to tell stories, but we have two hours of TV every week, and I feel like these stories kind of go a little slowly. And I don't really want to watch on YouTube on how these stories evolve. <laughs> well, yeah, that, I mean, it just seems like this this angle with the butcher, the blade, and the bunny just came out of nowhere, no build, and it's getting a match next week with just kind of like thrown together and you know qt marshall's his partner if cody's not taking it serious why are we taking it serious um and, and then we come to dark order stuff i mean i'm still not interested in those guys i know they're trying to do something with them and i just don't they don't have the physical or the physical presence to scare me you know they don't act crazy i don't believe they're crazy i believe they're just acting dark they're not really dark you know they're not mm-hmm. really intimidating and when it comes to Brandy Road sec, uh, the Brandy Road segment with uh, uh, Awesome Kong and Melanie Cruz, um, just whatever that segment was. You know, it's funny that segment featured something that people always give WWE crap about. Uh huh. And you know what I'm talking about when the people all of a sudden disappear in the match. Like what happened to Statlander and Hikaru Shida during that? haircut and they just left <laughs> like they just disappeared right 
a lot of times it happens at WWE too, and it's really refreshing as well. It was just a, and, and it also happened during the commercial break, which I also get a a real big issue with. They do a lot of stuff during the commercial break where they actually should show it, you know, on. Yep. It's just they're 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 still learning, and their their timing is the production timing is really off on stuff. They you know they can cut back on a match or two. There's no need for that lucha. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Pentagon Junior. Christopher Daniels match. Uh, Christopher Daniels not wasn't ready for that match. They could have held that off maybe till early next year or something, but yeah, it was just uh, I I couldn't tell which I didn't like this one this show than last week's show. I mean, this I thought this show wasn't that good either, but I did like the Cody segment once he got past the Busher the Blade and the Bunny stuff. I enjoyed his promo. I mean, he's always the highlight to me, and I enjoyed some things of the Jericho promo and some things I just couldn't stand. So, so let's go back for a second. Um, the uh, what did you think of the parody of um, uh, from from the NXT Takeover match where uh, Adam uh, I'm 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 Britt Baker what, what Britt Baker where she she you know holds her face like in in like you know in a scared way like I thought you know it's it, it's it's very small thing so I don't think it really means anything but to this AEW. F- audience who doesn't like WWE I'm sure it meant a whole lot I thought it was funny more than it was sort of petty but I could see also people who you know WWE fans who were like oh these guys are so petty you know why did why are why are they doing that but uh, I, I thought that was kind of uh kind of a funny thing and you know making fun of WWE in, in a way um but it also the- made Britt Baker look like a goofball because here is Nyla Rose one power bombing a referee through the table then he then she power bombs shauna right that that's shauna through a table and here is your top woman baby face sitting there with her hands on her face in horror like she's a professional wrestler she should go in there and try to help her friend who's on the baby face side you're right I would think she just sit there. I think I think it just made it look bad. I I you know I didn't honestly didn't even get it at first. I thought she's I'm like, why is she out there? You know I I didn't realize it until afterwards until I you know I saw some stuff online. Mm-hmm. But to me I was just thinking like why are you having your top babyface woman wrestler out there doing nothing? You know she's not in the locker room. She's not busy doing other things. She couldn't come out and help. Like she's right there at ringside. Just made her look bad. Well they are definitely trying to be cute right now oh definitely but um not but you could be cute but not when it's gonna hurt your characters and and did you think it's funny about nyla rose the the play-by-play was funny because they're like she's dominant there's the most dominant woman in AEW, and then when she comes to ring her records two and three yeah it's just (laughs) cracks me up um so there were sound issues again big time uh, and then i i mean I know that that building wasn't full, mm-hmm. but there were lots of shots of areas that I don't think that they probably should have shot. And then there was, you know, camera work screw ups in the uh, in the main event. Uh, I, I don't I've been I would say if you were to grade the production of the show so far, which is probably, you know, just as hard to get right as as is the booking and as is you know because it's a whole production it's all you know you're doing tons of stuff just for this tv shoot i mean it's probably a c so far like there there are some things that that look really cool uh there are also things where they look a little um 
a little sophomoric. And I think that hopefully that will improve as they sort of figure things out. But at least, you know, when you look at something that is brand new, there's going to be a sheen to it. I think AEW does have that sheen. But when you look at how the errors that are made in production that... By now, 10 weeks in, you know, Mm -hmm. they probably should be a little bit better. And I thought this last show was maybe one of the worst ones as far as production was concerned. Did you get any feedback from the live cloud if it was hot live? I mean, I know they had production issues, sound issues really early, but I thought a lot of matches they were quiet for. But I couldn't tell, like, okay, is this a production issue or were they they hot live but not coming through the TV? Because I think both shows, I think the crowd was a little, like, not as hyped or not as loud as per usual for AEW shows. And same thing for NXT. I thought they, a lot of that crowd, you know, they're getting good matches and they weren't really reacting too much to stuff. It was kind of like one of those shows where the crowd was just a little harder to get going, for, you know, on both ends. But did you hear anything live from the live I perspective? Didn't, I, don't, I didn't hear from anybody who was there, no. Mm, okay. So you mentioned the Cody promo. I thought it was, I thought half of it was really good and the other half of it was uh, <laughs> a little bit of a throwaway to the Butcher and the Blade stuff that you mentioned. Uh, the thing that I thought was really interesting, and I wonder if this was a, you know, Cody's a big Star Wars fan. There was a, a, a comment about that he doesn't deal in absolutes. Um, and, and so that's, you know, that's a Sith. Only Siths only deal Sith in absolutes. Absolute. Yep. Uh, and, and so but the thing about that was he just had a situation where he's dealing in absolutes where he is not getting a title shot and so my uh, our, uh my buddy Jason Robar from our fight fight uh, Facebook group he's the one who mentioned he's like why did Cody say that because he just mentioned that he's not getting not going to have a title shot ever again so that was a little bit of like a, a a mix up i think there but i think i think he more or less just wanted to get the star wars thing in cuz i think he's just a big time star wars fan yeah he's a big sci-fi geek and i think he's also probably like a lot of us rewatching the movies leading up to uh, <laughs> episode nine. So I think I'm, I'm, I'm through rogue one. Yeah. 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 I'm doing, I'm, I'm through well, shoot. I kind of watched it a little late er, earlier in the year. So I'm, I'm all right. I mean, I know this, I watch these things so much, so much, but my kids are totally into star Wars right now, which is awesome. So they're pretty hyped. I mean, not as hyped as me, of course, but, <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 I I like the promo. Um, like I said, after Beyond the Butcher, Blade and Bunny crap, um, I did. I just I wanted some MJF on this show. We got the Cody promo, but I, we need some MJF on this show. This guy is the hottest heel in the company. I mean, I mean, don't you think? Like, I think he needs to be on the show somehow, some way. Like that, maybe that promo that he. He they put on social media where he's talking about like he's the one that with his money his influence he hired the butcher the blade and the bunny right I I, I think that I think you can't you cannot leave that guy on dark right now like he has to be on every show if it's just for a promo you know he doesn't have to wrestle but you know, I mean Kenny, Kenny Kenny Omega's like leader in the clubhouse of matches oh, on God. dark he had another one on dark yeah yeah there's another one that should have been yes you, know, you need to have these guys presence on the show somewhere some way I'm not saying wrestle I'm not saying have matches you know give time to other people of course but they should do something to kind of continue on you know just like can you make yourself a follow-up promo 
about his win last week over Pac. Mm-hmm. That's a big, mm-hmm. supposed to be a big win, and um, yeah, I just I, I think they you know like they're learning their ways you know and and you know I just hope they kind of get that you know keep the important people on here you know. Don't try to rush to try to get these new acts over. It'll come in time. You're not going anywhere, right? You'll have time to get these new acts over. If you keep throwing, focusing on too much on too much of the new acts, like no one's going to get over, right? So just focus on the main event talent for now and keep building to your next pay per view, and then slowly bring these new talents in. So Jungle Boy is going to get a shot at Chris Jericho in a couple weeks, which is their last show of the year, I believe. Mm-hmm. It's going to be uh, the 18th. Um, he, the They're taking Christmas Day off, and then they come back on New Year's Day for, uh, for the beginning of the year. So Jericho against Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy had a... You know, a couple of lines there. Jericho was carrying the segment like he should have. And then they had a little bit of a pull apart, which I thought was a little weak. Uh, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I, I know they're doing the Marco stunt stuff for, for fun. But when he's out there, uh, you know, putting his dukes up and stuff, it comes off as more like comedy and such. Uh, and, you know, and then it's two, it's three against two baby faces versus heels even though i guess with marco maybe two and a half on two <laughs> uh so i just thought i thought the end of it was weak i, I mean i'm more happy more, more or less just happy that jungle boy is get is getting a chance to to wrestle jericho i think it's going to be a really really fun story i'm happy to see that match too because you know love jack but i also think it's too early i think they're definitely just rushing that i think so, i think they haven't really established them as a tag team yet like they haven't really been on TV, winning tag team matches and you know getting a title shot for the tag teams. I'm afraid that he's gonna get this match last ten minutes, or you know, or I'm also afraid they might go. Let's just flip the switch and think he's gonna last ten minutes and beat him. You know, but mm-hmm. I hope not. I think I think they're gonna go the traditional route of him going ten minutes and lasting with Jericho. Maybe Jericho beats him right after that or something like that. If it's just a ten minute time limit match, I don't know yet. They didn't really clarify. Um. But I just, I don't know. I, I'm afraid that he's going to have this moment. It's going to be a good match. I think it's going to be a really good match. But then next week, he's just back at doing tag teams. and Or on Dark. Like, look at look at Darby Allen. Like, I thought he had a breakout performance with Jericho. Yeah, and, and, he's to be found. and he's just, like, here and there. And, like, another guy that should be focused on. And who's a, who's a, who's a future star for that company. So um, I'm 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 like I say I'm I'm excited for Jack, but I think it's just something that should happen should happen sometime in 2020, probably in the summertime. So I think this is I think the plan is to launch Jack into um, into the stratosphere. I don't I, you know they're not gonna make him the world champion or anything like that at least i don't think <laughs> but i think the goal the goal is is like look we need to capitalize on on him a little bit more than we have been so i hope that 
this is something to establish him and that he becomes a regular on the show because he hasn't been on a lot. And I know that he wasn't because Luchasaurus was off the show and they haven't really figured out a way to get back into the swing of things. But I hope this is something that makes him a, a TV regular at least. Well, I think they should take their time with him because his story is best told in a longer period of time than a short period of time. Like, I think it's best to show him have some adversity, some heart, determination, move up the ranks, and then finally get a big win. So, I mean, maybe this is step one. And then, like I said, I have a feeling is that, yeah, he'll do well and survive with the world champion, but then he'll just be a tag team guy again until they eventually, hopefully, put the belts on him. Because I think... I think they're the you know the most popular tag team really if they ever get a chance to and you know, Luchasaurus been hurt but once they ever get a chance to be a team a regular team on TV again I think they'll definitely be the hottest tag team to have. What did you think of Miss Statlander? Uh, very green, very green, which is not a bad thing. I'm not, I'm not knocking her. Just this is the facts, folks. Um, uh, has some talent, some size. I don't get the alien gimmick. I think it's stupid. I would probably have her drop that. Um, just doesn't work. Like what? I mean, she's an alien. That's there's she's just an alien, folks. <laughs> it's like, I mean, if people who followed on Indies might know the story, but mm-hmm. we don't. So who is she? Um, I did not like the booking of it. I think she should have had a game match with Hikaru Shida. Been game, been competitive. Maybe sneak out a near fall. But I think Hikaru should have won and continue on to wrestle Riho. I think. You know that was fine. I, I think Statlander. I have a feeling we're going to get some fifty-fifty booking on that one. Well, we all we are getting fifty-fifty booking. Look at everyone's record in AEW, right? Um, I think, I think she was a. I don't. I think she shouldn't have been in that match. I think she should be a little bit more of a developmental type. Um, I think it should have been Cheetah and Hikaru, honestly. I mean, uh, you know, Freddie Mercury, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's who it should have been, and, and, and she should have, and, and Cheetah should have beat her and then challenged Rio for the championships. Probably maybe on December 18th or, you know, something like that. They want to build a big show. She has something, though. She definitely has something. I didn't really know what to take uh, out of her the first time she was on TV. Uh, but she's different. She's um, She's got good charisma. Athlete. She's a, Yeah, she's a good athlete. She's got charisma. And, you know, instead of trying to remember doing moves like i didn't get that from her which is good because like you said she is she is uh, fairly early in her in her game but i just saw an, uh, a little bit more of a natural reaction and ability in there than uh, than i would have expected because like you know they're they're, do- they're doing sort of complex matches and mm. a lot of it is memorization and, and i thought she did a good job with that it's stuff. so, so it, it's so funny that match man she does a cartwheels round cheetah oh yeah oh yeah i'm sitting there i'm like wow how how much has the business changed because if that was brought up to someone i was managing in the locker room and because i'm gonna do a cartwheel and you're gonna watch and be stunned by it they would say no i mean they would be like no i'm not gonna look like an asshole you know an idiot well that that was supposed to show her athletic ability and i turned to to big dave and we were watching and i was like 
Uh, I could do those cartwheels right now. That's not athletic at all. It's, it's all it did is show that she does a, an idiot. Like she should <laughs> just dropped her, kicked her, like boom. You know, that's what they should have happened. It was just, it was goofy. I, mean, I don't know why. I mean, they have agents, right? I, I really think the agents are collecting checks in this promotion. It's easy money for them, in my opinion. Because, like, I see a lot of, like, simple mistakes. Or, or like, that should have been cut out. That was a stupid, stupid spot. And I don't know if this Mega's aging all the girls' matches or, or, or you know, if he just books the finishes and the direction. But, like, that that spot should have been cut out because that was, that was really bad. And I know we've been pretty hard on Joey Janela on this show. I thought that was uh, the a pretty darn good match for a TV match. They didn't have too much. They didn't have a ton of time. I actually like this better than that than that other match that they had on one of those um, one of those uh, Bleacher Report live shows that they had. Uh, it was. I thought. I thought it worked, and I thought. You know, Dean, obviously, Dean, Mox gets the mm-hmm. win. He's he's on the ascent to uh, to get a championship shot. And I thought Janela looked good. And, you know, he was a little bit more serious. You know, he's still going to be Janela. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's got this angle of like, oh, you know, I'm sort of disrespected. You know, I was one of the first ones to sign. And and now, you know, I'm I, you know, I'm not respected or whatever. And, and I, I mean, who I don't really care about that part. But there there looked to be I don't know if this was like a like sort of uh like he maybe he really feels that way but i felt like a a, a lot more serious janella on the show at, in the main event spot yeah i didn't like this match at all i thought it was match i thought it was one of the weakest paper um, yeah, tv matches main events they've had and then, of course again they only get like what 13 minutes or 12 minutes whatever it was once again they're just cutting these main event times short they should Give more time to these guys in the main event spots to make them actually have, mean some oomph, some some importance. But that promo earlier, I thought was really was bad, and then it got worse when out comes Mox and he goes, huh? Like looks at him, goes, huh? Turns around, like, okay, dude. So you don't care about this main event, you know? Like, what do I care now, right? It's it was but just, but I think it was to show that okay you're complaining about disrespected well I'm just going to disrespect you right in front of your face and let's see what you do like I think that's what it was for and he but, just Joey Janelle just sits there and looks at him like if I, if Joey Janelle would attacked and they brawl and got separated then I was like all right maybe we'll see some stuff but nah I wasn't feeling it in the main event it was it was it was. Maybe Janelle's best match to date. I don't even know, but like it was, it was just. I mean, the, the, I think most people would think the Omega match was his best match. I mean, I was whatever on that match because that's just not my style. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, th- I thought he was more of a more of a type of worker that. I can sort of respect and not sort of the garbage style that we're used to. Um, but he's got, he's got a lot of work to do because, you know, he's got this stigma, which a lot of people love. And, you know, you, you, uh, you know, even our buddy Nick will tell you like, I, he's like, ah, oh, yeah, I've seen Janela have really good matches that didn't have anything to do with, you know, a hardcore style. Big Davis said the same thing. I know others, uh, who, uh, were close to probably think differently, but, I, I th- uh, th- there's something about his, uh, you know, it, it's a little bit of a big fish in a small pond kind of thing with Game Changer. Like he is a star there, mm-hmm. and now on AEW he's not one of the bigger stars, and he sort of got to prove himself. And and you know, I respect his hustle. I think he's he's actually one of the few people 
out there on the indie scene who means something to the gate and to the and to the you know the the fans and drawing fans and stuff. So I think he's a really smart guy, and I would love to see him figure out how to become a a bigger player here than he currently is. And need, I'm open to giving to giving him you know that opportunity. I, I'm interested in seeing what he does. He needs to suck it up and work a program with Kiss Saving off that chick over Penelope. They need to do that program. That's the only thing that's going to be interesting with that guy. You know, that's the only thing that's going to, that, that might, that might put him over if he has something, you know, like shoot, man, John Tatum and Eddie Gilbert worked a program over Missy Hyatt. So, you know, they sucked it up for business and, and he needs to suck it up for business too. He can't be so sensitive and just, and just do it and have fun and, and hopefully they'll draw some money. So we, I, I, I'm ready to move on to NXT, but I, I, do, I will say I'm very interested to see uh, ratings wise how both of these shows open because again, um, two weeks ago we had that na- uh, Nick Jackson versus Phoenix match, and I know you know you, you didn't care for it, but I but it's kind of the the perfect style of opener because it is really like right out of the gate tons of action and and as a fan you know you that's kind of you know when you sit down and watch a match having you know so many things happen in the beginning is is intriguing versus you know the promo that they did last week which was a little slower and jericho trying to do comedy and so they came back to that match you know a different match though sort of the same style of match with the bucks and dustin in the beginning of this show and so i'm interested to see how that fares from a, from a rating standpoint because nxt morrow is back thank you know hope hope he's doing well but nxt starts off with uh, a, a good wrestling match but a much slower wrestling match and you know a little bit of mat work and mm-hmm. you know a, a colder character in killian dane and i really wonder how those are going to play against each other when it comes to the ratings because i will say that I was kind of excited to see what they were going to do. And then by the end of the match, I was like, eh, this was fine. But I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not a big Killian Dane guy. So I was kind of, I was kind of bored throughout some parts of it, especially as it goes through the commercial. But, uh, but I, it's just going to be interesting to see, you know, what, what, if that hot start, you know, that, that, that really fiery start, if that, is good for ratings or if you know something like this where it's a, it's more of a wrestling match it's more mat based it's telling a little bit more of a story uh, a little bit more a little bit easier to follow but it's also not as action packed yeah well I thought that match was pretty action packed but yeah I thought I mean, NXT was yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the rings. I want to see how the breakdown is. I'm I was curious about how that works, how that how people are kind of switching over and what's. It is interesting what loses like ratings. Like so I'm always surprised. I'm always surprised that AEW's women lose so much. You know, when it comes to the, like people like tur- you know lose viewers and the women are on for AEW. I don't know. I always thought like maybe the women viewers get a little more just from you know guys alone you know just want to check out pretty women or something like that but yeah but i mean they don't really have any characters that lean no. towards that that you know i mean i mean, Plus, I mean they don't Brit have any is, women that are that that really that good i mean there's some well, that are i okay. mean Brit, brit's pretty like brit looks like someone who could you know who would be someone wwe would target but you know they've their two or three of their biggest stars are foreign Japanese women mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know they lost I think Kylie Ray was supposed to be sort of a good hybrid of, of that she was she's supposed not to be there. like the main babyface girl right was she like well, not well, right by at least under Baker at the, at, the, at the lowest right I mean yeah I think yeah. so wow 
and and then you have the monsters, right? You have Nyla Rose, you mm-hmm. have Awesome Kong. So they're not really targeting that, you know, and maybe they should be because they have a lot of 18 to 35 males watching this show. You know, maybe they need to, you know, appeal it up a little bit. But then again, you know, that's really not what they want to do. And they and they really want to focus on uh, on introducing mm-hmm. this style of wrestling. But um the so so I think the one thing that is that is maybe and, and I, I haven't read Big Dave's Observer yet so we'll see but I think the one thing that looks like as far as I can tell just just understanding a little bit about the numbers this week is if you look at this week and last week what it looks like to me is that the NXT increases haven't really come from the AEW side or this new fan, I think what they were able to do is they were able to get Raw fans and SmackDown fans to be open to watching this show thanks to the Survivor Series build. So, you know, Vince was able to uh, to siphon some of that audience for NXT, and it looks like some of them did stick around for this uh, for the second week, and and you know may- maybe hopefully that they'll, they'll stick around uh, for uh, for the other shows as well because that, that at least if I'm reading the these these numbers correctly. I think that's the story and why NXT now, you know, and the, 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 the overall numbers of viewers, it, it was almost even this week. AEW is winning, you know, that 18 to, to, to 49 demo, but NXT is inching ever so closely. And that difference is not as much as it was, you know, even uh, three weeks ago. So I think that that Survivor Series angle really did work. And, and now Raw and SmackDown fans who maybe didn't think that they had enough time to, to watch on the show, I think some of them are now watching the show. Yeah, that, that's cool, man. That's, it was cool to see both shows, you know, do really well this week. And that's just a good thing for pro wrestling. So... I again, you know, I'm only watching the one hour version of this show. So I know I missed uh, Matt Riddle and um, Chris Hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else did I miss? Uh, I think I missed. Kushida? I missed the Kushida stuff. Yeah. Um, so I know I missed those things. But uh, like, I know you said, you know, you know, I should watch the full show, but. The one hour version of this show is so good. Like, it's amazing. It's like the best wrestling show on TV. It's this a- one hour of action packed NXT <laughs> is amazing. It's the best wrestling show in two hours, too. So, I mean, I, I mean, I like this show a lot. It was, it was really good. The only thing I don't, and there's some things I didn't like, though. There's like, for example, I'm not a big fan of, um, um, like having Trevor, uh, Trevor, Cameron Grimes, Trevor Lee come out there to, lose to Kushida I think you should kind of build that keep building that guy up I know they want to throw off these good matches and you know they get people excited but like I just don't want to sacrifice losing to people and same thing with Chris Hero like or Cash Sazono I don't think it's you know he's coming in to like you know because he's been doing great at NXT UK this this character the wrestling genius and he's gonna you know they're building up to the win worlds collide with the nxt uk versus nxt show which is gonna be freaking great i can't wait for that show i'm super hyped for that show actually and And when are they taping that that's gonna be before the rumble but is is it gonna be live is it gonna be a live special or is it gonna be tape matches i can find out though um but uh i don't know i I hope it's a live show because Damn, it's gonna that should be just be a hell of a show, and it'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. Who's, it's gonna be interesting who's gonna be in it. That's all I can say about that. And um, um, 
but yeah, it, it's um, you know, like he comes in and he and he loses, and I get it. Like he just can't beat Matt Riddle. Like that's a part of it. Maybe a story, a overall story, and I like that. I do like that that certain guys just can't beat certain people. It's like a pitcher in baseball can't strike out a certain guy. Like the guy always has his number, right? But like I just don't think you should do that. The you know right off the bat with this, I think Hero should come in and kind of cause some some drama or something like that talk some trash beat some people and then you can kind of do an angle leading into this show did you did the nxt hulu version did they have the kushida video they did not have the interview package or whatever about him taking time off yeah he got injured in the match with walter and then at the same time you know he got time to spend time with his family his little daughter and by the way baby kushida over baby yoda like she's just a <laughs> cutest little thing <laughs> Uh, I really like that stuff. That stuff is really good, and it's it's cool. They're throwing these. It was a cool. It's a really nice produced segment. Like he was like in the park playing with his daughter, and he's with his wife. And I just thought that was like it, that got me more into Kishida than some stuff in New Japan. You know, like I guess I got like okay, cool, that's cool. I didn't know he's like his family guy, right? I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And and you know his cute little daughter. And so now I want to see you know more and more of him in NXT and and see what story they tell with him. And uh, he looked good. He looked you know looked like a sheet of old. So. So he was pumped to be back. So I like the Dakota Kai stuff. I know I've been really hard on her as a babyface on this show. Uh, she, I thought the the promo, even though it was short, I thought it was it was solid. Uh, I like her accent as a heel. Like I know that's kind of a weird thing, but I, I think her accent works really well as a heel. But the whole segment with with. Um, Mia Yim was kind of interesting because they set up this Rhea Ripley match and so you're waiting to see Rhea and then you're kind of wondering like okay what's going to happen here because Rhea Ripley's on her way to to face Shayna and then she just doesn't have a match and Mia Yim comes out and they just fight like I thought that was kind of a weird way to do this segment I was with you too right right when this segment like kicked off and well first of all Rhea got lost in her lines you know, mm-hmm, she did mm-hmm. and she she stumbled a little bit and it was kind of it was very flat but i will say as you're as you're are hard on dakota kai you know i'm usually hard on mia yim right yeah i will say if this is the mia yim that's gonna if she's gonna be this wild brawling mia yim from now on i would love to see it because i thought her i thought the sprawl was fantastic i thought she was great and aggressive and and looked like she was pissed like at first i was i was irritated with the bait 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 and switch too like i was like oh i don't know how people people are not gonna like that but then like the brawl was so good and then the angle leading into shayna and you know and jess with marina like that i thought that angle was really well done yep i felt the very like a mid-south vibe with this like where layers of stuff are kind of continuing with each storyline just branching off each other and then now you don't have can have dakota with mia while ria can mm-hmm. beat Shayna. you know i believe she's gonna be the one but she should beat her she's super hot right now i mean she's on fire and she's definitely the one to beat her beat Shayna for the belt and then then you know now you have dakota and ria you know coming up for 2000, 2020 so i really dug this segment i mean at first i was like oh man eh, man bummer and then all of a sudden like oh shoot this is really good so the the uh, Mia Yim could have gone to my high school, even though I know she's way younger than me, in her baggy sweatpants and Tim's. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought that was an interesting, interesting uh, outfit to rock. I wonder if she really dresses like that. I, I dug uh, it. I dug it, man. That brought me uh, back too. It brought me back, <laughs> like like yeah, like you know the, the the bad girl in school. You know what I mean? Like you know, yeah. Just like, I, but I, I agree with you. It's the best I've ever seen her in NXT. 
Yeah, no, she don't no, her aggressive aggression was really good. I I, I really enjoyed. I've never thrown into the like, I've never seen anyone throw in, anyone into the the guardrail like that in a while. Like it looked like it was just like they're just going in the guardrail because they're doing a spot. Like it looked like she was pissed and wanted to kill her. And okay, here here's my here's my problem with uh, with this, and it's it's generally my problem with uh, Shayna and Jess and uh, Marina in general. Why are Jess and Marina the new Patterson and Briscoe? They get their ass handed to them every single time when it's when they have the numbers like they'll come in and it'll be one person and they'll both get their asses kicked. And then, you know, Shayna comes in. But I'm just like, these women are real life tough women. Like we saw Jessamine have a great fight in the ultimate on the ultimate fighter where she took so much punishment and just stayed in there and hung tough. And, you know, we know Marina's uh, legitimate, you know, a, 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 a judo player. But when they come in the ring, it's so comical. Their bumps are kind of comical. And it's like you, they, they're not taken seriously at all. And I'm like, I've seen these women outside of WWE and they can actually kick ass. Their bumps are comical because they're still very green. They're very like they rush to stuff to take the bumps. They're really he- at times Marina was very hesitant when she was taking those bumps early. Like she, she kind of stutter stepped into them. Um, uh, but you know, if they both all came out and destroyed together, like what makes Shayna that much? as a badass right like the focus is Shayna she's a true badass well she's I mean she could be the shot caller too she doesn't always have to clean up the mess but okay let's say that she should clean up the mess that's what makes her a badass and that's what she should be it, but but it, let's say that that's that's what she should be. Shouldn't she be mad about her goofball no, sidekicks? No. no, she's not mad because they're the distraction. They're there to cause you know distraction while she comes in and cleans the mess up, and then she always does. But I once swear, you get past them, I swear you- we saw the same thing. In the Nation of Domination, and Rock was always pissed at D'Lo and Mark Henry for not getting the job done. When was this? Long time 19, ago, nineteen ninety eight, ninety nine, twenty years ago. But they're getting the job done, right? Did they, <laughs> didn't she choke out Rhea Ripley? I know, but she's like, but they keep getting killed. And then, um, what was the what was the match that I saw? Was it? Uh, gosh, maybe it was, were, were they? Did they get involved somehow at Takeover, or uh, maybe maybe it was the Raw after Takeover? I don't remember. But it's just the, the the last two times I've seen them, they come in, they don't get one shot in, they take all these bumps, and they're laid out and done. And I'm just like, okay, like they actually do know how to fight in real life. Like I don't understand. You got to understand the cleverness of this booking because they're the ones taking the shots from the babyface. But Shayna is so strong. So when the babyface finally meets okay. Shayna, you're like, holy shit, how can she beat Shayna? She's so dominant. And then when the babyface finally does get offense, it means something. Okay, man, I'll, I will. I will take. Trust I will take that me. as the answer. But it just looks. It looks so fake to me. Trust and me. the the and the reason why Shayna is good is because she's real and not fake. So that's why it frustrates me. <laughs> okay, so so what do you think happens in two weeks when it is Rhea and Shayna? I'm I'm assuming that they also want to save this for the pay per view. So or the the network special. So you know either there's uh, not a finish or or maybe Rhea wins the match and wins the title. 
title, but I imagine that they're having this as as a big match on the next TakeOver card in Portland on uh, the 16th of February. Man, I don't know. I was thinking that too. They do a big title change or do they save it? Is Shayna ready to do WrestleMania with Becky? That could be a possible match or a tag uh, I, match with Ronda. I, I, I am not as into that match after Survivor Series. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying what they have. What, I don't know what they have planned with Shayna. I think for sure she's main roster Brown this in 2020. I think that's 100. Um, but yeah, I I don't know if I would do the title change just yet. But I can see them doing it definitely on this. Sh- on this show, which is a big show, they're building this one big, and you know, just because you know AEW is trying to build up their their big show, you know, for that same night. So I can definitely see them trying that for sure. So also uh, in two weeks, we are going to get uh, Leo uh, Leo Rush against uh, Angel Garza, mm-hmm. which should be great. And then also uh, Mia Yim and Dakota Kai. So that's a big December 18th show head to head against AEW. Both both shows should do pretty good, pretty good numbers uh, for 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 how they're kind of pumping up those shows. Uh, Okay, so then uh, the main event angle is the Undisputed Era against Tommaso Ciampa, um, Keith Lee and Dijakovic. before we get to that, what did you think of Ciampa's comment about Joe Coff saying that uh, he didn't think Ciampa, he didn't think anybody was going to pay Ciampa more than twenty thousand dollars? Yeah, that was a little rough. Um, I, I would love to hear Joe Coff's side of this because yeah. you know I think a lot of wrestlers you know use things to uh, pump them up and yeah, and yeah. so I, I'd wonder what Joe Coff would say to that statement. I mean, but did anyone else think that you know the, that? Champa was going to be this super, you know, this big star. I mean, you know, I mean, he was talented, but no one like, no one was like saying, "Oh my God, Champa's so great," you know. So um, I don't know. I just, like you said, you don't know. The office is always heels gets healed up on, you know. So you yeah. don't know the whole story until you hear his side of the story. Here. Uh, okay, so the, the main event I thought was a really fun match. Um, it set up uh, a match for next week in which uh, Keith Lee gets gets the pin in the match uh, on Adam Cole. So it's rather than Keith Lee getting the title match because yeah. Finn because Finn Balor interfered, it is going to be Ciampa, Keith Lee, and Finn Balor in a three way. And I posted this both in our Facebook group and on Twitter. And I just asked people who they thought was going to win. And run away uh, for both for both uh, platforms was Keith Lee probably like sixty percent of the vote. Um, but this was I thought this was a really fun match. You know they they do these main event style segments really well. Watching Finn Balor come in and he's always you know I, he looks so great. And then you know having Keith Lee actually get one over on him I thought was awesome. Made Keith look great. And uh, and then he got the pin on uh, on Adam Cole. So I think they 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 put they 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 tied a lot of things together that they wanted and they did it in a really in a really strong way to end the show. Yeah, I thought it was interesting too. Like I thought for sure, I'm like, wait, why he just get the title shot? He beat the champ, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, they need some big match for next week, and you know, this is uh, another three way, of course. But yep, I think this is a way for something to happen with Finn Balor and Champa to for Lee to get the shot. I think Lee's gonna get the shot. I think it's just the the build's been going that way, and I love this shot of Lee popping up on the apron. Over. Oh yeah, so that's where WWE really is like above AEW, like shots like that because they're a television company, right? They're yep. producing television, and this is where AEW definitely needs to 
strengthen up on shots like that. Like this is that was that was great stuff. That was like wow. I I popped. I was like wow, man, that was awesome. And the match was great too. That was a fun match. And you're gonna get with all those guys in that ring. It's gonna be, you know, it's gonna be a pretty stellar six man tag. The the other thing I thought about though is uh, when when Regal came out and made the announcement. If I'm Dijakovic, I'm like. Uh, Hello, mm-hmm. <laughs> all these other guys. Like, what about me? Mm-hmm. But uh, he just was kind of left out of the out of the match. Yeah, yeah. Four way would have been nice, you know. But maybe they, maybe the, the honestly, because I know Dijakovic, he's he's a talented guy, but he's also not to the level of Champa or Balor or or even Keith Lee now after his performance in Fire Series, and so maybe they want to be like because it does make you think. Like, I mean, I think Keith Lee's gonna win, but. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to win, but I, you know, like I think he's going to win, but I don't think a lot. They want that. They want people to guess, like you know. Yeah, that's yeah. That's why Finn's in, and Ciampa's obviously probably going to get one of the next uh, shots at, at at a big show. When we come back from our break, uh, we'll come back directly to the segment that I did with Carlos Toro, and then after that, we will talk about our Raw segment from 1993. Bobby the Brain Heenan leaves. The commentator's desk on Raw. He is out of the company, moving to WCW, and this is his farewell. And then after that, we will have a uh, little bit of a fun kind of thing that I'll that I'll talk about when when we get there, uh, having to do with John going to the uh, being inducted in NorCal Hall of Fame. But right now, let's get to the break. The holidays are here. Are you looking for a great gift for someone in your life? Harry's is a gift. That is both thoughtful and practical, and is probably a pretty sweet stocking stuffer. As a special offer for fans of this show, we've partnered with Harry's to give you $5 off any shave set, including their limited edition holiday sets, when you go to harrys.com front slash blue wire. Plus, you'll get free shipping. Each Harry's shaving set comes with a weighted handle with an option to engrave, five blade razor cartridges, foaming shave gel for a rich lather, a travel cover to protect your blades, and is packaged in a handsome holiday gift box. Free shipping ends December 16th. So act now. Just go to harrys.com front slash blue wire. That's harrys.com front slash blue wire. He's humbled now. It either make him a better individual, better fight, a better person, or it might just destroy him. All right, I have Carlos here, Carlos Toro, who writes for Fightful.com. He writes a lot about boxing, but he's also covering pro wrestling. But today we're going to talk about uh, the big boxing match, Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz, their second fight. Carlos, what's going on, man? Not much. I'm pretty excited about this fight, this whole event. It's uh, it's a very it's a very interesting event. Just kind of not just talking about the the fight, Andy Ruiz versus Anthony Joshua, but just the whole event itself taking place in Saudi Arabia. Kind of knowing what's been going on with the country and trying to bring in literally any and all kinds of sports in the country. So it's uh, it's been it's interesting seeing the build up to the fight. Uh, I just watched the the documentary that they had on that first fight. 
Spotify that the Zone put out last night, and and I gotta say it's uh, it's kind of a surreal feeling that this rematch is taking place, especially so soon when we're so used to big rematches taking God knows how long to to make. I mean, we're still waiting on Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury too, so that kind yeah. of gives you an idea of you know just how crazy it is to have a rematch like this in the span of six months. Absolutely. So there are a bunch of different angles you can take to this second fight. You know, whether or not you want to say, oh, you know, for the first fight, you know, Joshua had his opponent changed. He was dealing with a bunch of other stuff because it was first fight in the U.S. He's headlining Madison Square Garden for DAZN. So lots of pressure, Um, possibly overlooking Ruiz. Like what? Like if you're if you're on the Joshua excuse train, which one makes the most sense to you as far as why he just seemed uh, not ready for 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 that fight? You know, I mean, I guess you can say that it the change in opponent played a factor because, you know, some guys, some boxers, they, you know, they focus their entire training camp on just dealing with one type of fighter or whatever style that their opponent uh, has. And, you know, Darrell Miller, the original opponent for Anthony Joshua for that fight at MSG, you know, he's not he's not an Andy Ruiz type of guy. Yes, they're, you know, they're big and they're, you know, you know, Dan Reese is, you know, you can say he's a fat type, uh, a fat fighter, or at least, you know, fat. But, and Gerald Miller is kind of fat, too, because the guy weighs like 300 pounds. <laughs> and, and that's not an exaggeration. He literally does weigh 300 pounds. And, you know, Gerald Miller and Andy Reese are two different fighters. They're both, you know, Gerald Miller is a strong, somewhat methodical, but slow fighter when you look at his hands. You know, he hasn't been in the ring against tough fighters like, you know, like Andy Reese has in the past. He, you know, he's faced Joseph Parker and had to go to New Zealand, Joseph Parker's uh, home country, to fight for a world title. So, Andrew Ruiz has been around the block, and Ruiz is a, you know, he may not look like it, but he's a deceptively fast fighter when it comes to, you know, punching at short range. And we did kind of see that right in that third round coming from that first knockdown uh, that he suffered against Anthony Joshua. What what do you think of the idea that Ruiz's style is perfect to, to beat Joshua? You know, he, he Joshua's very tall, he's long, and, and during this fight, you know, you saw him crouching, like trying to like get down to that level, which uh, opened himself up for uh, overhand rights uh, from Ruiz constantly. Uh, and, and the thing that you said about, you know, deceptively fast, like, you know, I wonder, he, there wasn't sort of an ability for him to kind of lull Joshua to sleep. And then just on a turn of a dime, then it was like just punch after punch after punch. Do you, do you feel, what, what do you feel about the Styles matchup, even going into this second fight, now that both know a lot about each other, uh, how, how do you think they match up stylistically? I mean, if you're Anthony Ruiz, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of mindset Anthony Joshua is bringing into this fight or what game plan he has. I mean, from, 
you know, from a style standpoint, from a physical standpoint, I mean, Anthony Joshua is the type of fighter that Andrew Ruiz will, uh, loves to fight. He's, as you mentioned, he, he's much taller and longer, but there was times, and this, and this is not the first time Anthony Joshua has done this, but there have been times where he has been a little bit prone to sort of try to engage too much on the inside and not use his length, you know, to the point where a tall fighter like Anthony Joshua should. In, in a way, we kind of saw that in the Alexander Povetkin fight mm-hmm. from last year where Joshua kind of started trading away at Povetkin unnecessarily on the inside and then started to use his length and eventually knocked him out. So, you know, unless Joshua had completely fixes that, you know, he is going to, there's going to be a point where Joshua will gonna, where, where he's gonna want to trade punches on the inside with Andy Ruiz and Ruiz, you know, he's a guy that operates best when he's sort of punching upwards and he's landing those right hooks upstairs and and, and Ruiz, I bet you, you know, it's kind of like in a way it's sort of muscle memory where he he remembers that shot that kind of knocked Anthony Joshua off balance in that first fight and he just kept landing that punch throughout the rest of the fight and in a way I think Andrew Ruiz is going to try to hone in on that and try to see if he can sort of replicate the the same punch that he did in the first fight and if he even if he doesn't it's still a very strong punch and Joshua doesn't have the greatest chin in the world he has been knocked down in the past and he has been prone to getting hurt. So I think Andy Ruiz is going to look at this fight and not really going to change a whole lot, if at all, because the type of fighter, you know, size-wise, stylistically, he is the type of fighter that will give Anthony Joshua a lot of trouble, even if, even with a full training camp for Joshua, even if the original opponent was Andy Ruiz. Anthony Joshua was always going to struggle against a fighter like Andy Ruiz. So George Foreman, uh, I I read a a piece by uh, Lance Pugmire from The Athletic, and and George Foreman basically said, look, all Joshua has to do is stand tall, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously, stand tall and box. If he wants to get, you know, the only way that Ruiz can beat him is if he decides to trade punches on the inside. If if Joshua decides that he just wants to win a points decision and he's just going to box and use his length, this should be... Easy, easy cake for him. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's not necessarily like it's kind of hard to do, right? You're, you, you know, you're in a fight with this guy and and you're landing shots like Joshua landed some great shots early in this fight. And it probably gave him a little bit of confidence to go, OK, you know, now I'm, I'm going to go inside and really do damage. And that was really playing into Andy Ruiz's strength. Do you think do you see Joshua having more discipline and being OK with maybe not a an exciting win? Uh, or do you think he's going to try to knock this guy out and prove that, you know, it was a fluke all along? I remember Joshua was kind of saying that, you know, this fight's not going to the scorecards, you know, I'm going to knock him out. But, I mean, from, you know, if you're playing it smart, I mean, you're, the goal is to just win the fight, not necessarily knock Andy Ruiz out. And, you know, it, there's a good chance that the knockout's going to come either way because Anthony Joshua is an extremely strong puncher, one of the hardest, heavy, hard, uh, hardest-hitting heavyweights right now that's not named Deontay Wilder. And, you know, Joshua... 
Yeah, and I agree with George Warren. Anthony Joshua just needs to, you know, use the jab, you know, kind of stay moving. Don't stay in the ring or one spot in the ring for too long. And I thought that what what, what he needed to do in the first fight, I said, look, you know, even though Ruiz operates best fighting on the inside and can certainly knock out Anthony Joshua, Anthony Joshua, all he has to do is just stay back and use the jab and he's just going to cruise to a win because there's no point in going up against a guy like him and trading on the inside and, you know, even though it makes for a very exciting fight, you know, sometimes, you know, not having an exciting fight is the smartest way to pick up a victory. So... I think Joshua, there's going to come a point where he may get swept up in all, you know, in all the excitement and wants to prove a point. So I, I don't know. It just really depends on how Joshua mentally is going to approach this fight and approach you know the middle rounds. Because I think early on, I think he will try to play it smart and play it you know maybe even a little too overly cautious with training with Ruiz on the inside. I think we're going to see a somewhat slow you know methodical Anthony Joshua use the jab not really do a whole lot while sort of kind of riding out this wave of emotion and momentum that Andrews might be coming at least early on into the fight I think the middle rounds I think we're going to start to see Joshua start to really get into the uh, rhythm but early on I I just don't see it yeah the uh the first fight I, I I mean I think we it's pretty much been stated by uh, by the Joshua side that in that third round I think he just really got his bell rung and maybe didn't never never recovered from that but watching that fight he just looked embarrassed and there were there were things that he did that were uh, not normal uh, behavior that, that you would see in a fight you know there was times where he was like smiling there was the time and they showed this in the 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 one uh, one night documentary that that Stallone produced where he like takes this gigantic breath which tells Ruiz that he's tired and just did like some really weird things that you don't see happen in boxing. And I, and I just sort of looked at it as like, man, this guy's really embarrassed about what is happening. He's thinking of all the things that you know, all the pressures and everything, and he's seeing it kind of slip away and he's reacting in a weird way. So in that sense, I do wonder if he wants to just erase this thing. And one way that he could do it, if he is thinking of the outside critics is to knock him out uh, in, a, in a destructive way to prove that it was a fluke. But like you said, he could also do it from fighting smartly and eventually uh, getting there. But I, I just wonder, like, how much of that, you know, you, you mentioned mentally, how much of that do you think plays a factor into his strategy? Just the fact that, you know, he clearly looked like he was just super embarrassed in the ring that night. Yeah, I mean, kind of going back to that one I documentary, the way, you know, I do think that the way they kind of framed this, that, yeah, Anthony Joshua never recovered. And as you mentioned, you know, him taking that that deep breath, which that was really, really weird. Because you never show, you never, ever show that kind of body language uh, uh, to a fighter, to an opponent, when you're trying to tell them, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm all good. At most, you just get, you know, I, I forgot who it was in the documentary that said that. But you just kind of give off the, the little laugh, the little smile, saying, no, no, I'm not hurt at all. But right. Joshua just kind of took it to a to an and, you know, I go back to that when when Joshua knocked uh, Ruiz down in that third round, I thought something there was something very weird. And I thought that, it, you know, 
he became way too desperate to to find that knockout because he thought, all right, I have him down. Now I, I have to do. I have to end it right now. You know, no matter what, and just give these people something to go home uh, happy about. And I do think that the pressures of fighting in New York. Uh, kind of got to him a little bit. I mean, if you remember, you know, Josh, the plan to fight in New York, that was never uh, on the table for anything. Jojo, he was supposed to fight in Wembley back right. in April, but then, you know, came then came the offer and then, you know, Joshua, you know, having seen the Canelo Rocky fielding fight at Madison Square Garden last December, he kind of got swept up in everything. And I think he tried a little bit too hard to kind of create that signature MSG moment. He kind of trying to be uh, Ali with, you know, the, the, I believe with the first fight against Joe Frazier at MSG. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he tried too hard to sort of be a crowd pleaser and show everyone that he is the biggest heavyweight star. Because I don't know if you remember, but this was during a time where Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder, they all had fights within weeks of each other. So right. it was almost kind of a, you know, a way to tell those guys, hey, I'm the real star and I'm the one who's going to be taking over this division in America, not you guys. So I think this time around, I think Joshua, you know, he's going to, it's going to be a little bit different because Saudi Arabia is a completely different boxing crowd, an entirely right. new boxing crowd. It's not MSG where the fans there are rabid and they are wild. Having witnessed that myself multiple times, it's really, really, you know, different for Joshua. And I think that kind of environment where you don't have 90,000 bridge fans screaming your or 15,000 rabid uh, fans in New York, I think that in a way it's kind of going to subdue that anxiety or that nervousness that Joshua may have felt in that first fight. Sure. And, and, and uh, you know, the, the MSG fight was supposed to be a way to get Joshua over in front of a U.S. audience, uh, in front of you know just the just the the media piece of it. How much bigger a fight is covered in Madison Square Garden, and but for this fight, it's like the opposite in that there's almost there's going to be very little coverage of this fight because of where it's taking place. Uh, you know, he could have gone back to fight in front of a more of a home audience. I think some people may have looked at that as kind of like. Um, you know, going, uh, you know, walking away from an opportunity because you lost, but it, it would have been a great rehab for him. But I do think that eventually he will have to come back to the U.S. and, and have a have a big fight, uh, it, you know, if it's if it's Wilder or, or whomever. But. What do you think about the whole Saudi Arabia thing? Because, you know, we both cover and watch professional wrestling. WWE has a deal with Saudi Arabia when it comes to producing events, live events for them. And it's it is a big cash cow for WWE. There was a lot of initial a backlash for this one when when it started, but I think it's subsided. I haven't really, you know, we are only a few days away from the fight. I haven't really heard it uh, uh, covered as 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 much as I thought I would. But what do you think about the whole spectacle of having it in Saudi Arabia? And do you feel similarly as you may have about WWE going out there with this one? 
you know, th- this whole situation between, you know, Saudi Arabia and not just boxing, but sports in general, it, it is a little bit weird because, I mean, you can get into the political side and just say, you know, this is all just, you know, I, I think there was one person, I forgot who it was, but kind of saying that they're sports washing uh, Saudi Arabia's, you know, very, very controversial and, you know, downright disgusting history when it comes to human rights. But, you know... It's weird because they're using sports as a public forum to sort of advertise itself into the world and say, you know, we are we are a country worth visiting. We are a country worth talking about in a positive light. And, you know, they, they've done this with boxing a couple of times because they had a show earlier this year headlined by Amir Khan, which was uh, anything but a good show to watch. And they got the World Boxing Super Series there a couple of years ago. So... I'm just looking at this and I'm thinking to myself, you know, boxing, no matter how much it ha- it thinks it has improved from the days where the the mob ran the sport and, you know, and there were, you know, corrupt judges left <laughs> and right, you know, you know, it, my, boxing's still always going to be a sport that's going to be dictated by money. And mm-hmm. Eddie Hearn looked at what the Saudis were offering him and it was, you know, and the zone, you know, with made with the reported lackluster U.S. subscriber count. It, it is a short-term money grab. And, and let's be honest, Eddie Hearn is not really interested in building boxing in Saudi Arabia. He's no. not. But it, it, this is, all, you know, from the boxing side, it's, you know, I think everyone kind of recognizes it's, it's just a money grab. You know, it may or may not happen again down the line. And, you know, it, and it's weird because not enough people are this time around compared to when WWE first came to Saudi Arabia. They're not kind of really pointing out all the... All the controversy surrounding the country in the last couple of years, the, you know, the human rights issues that it has faced. So I'm just looking at this, you know, I feel very weird and I feel in a way kind of wrong trying to watch, you know, this event in a country where, you know, they're blatantly using sports to sort of do like a public (laughs) image rehabilitation. Sure, sure. But, you know, you know, but... In a way, you know, if I was just a casual fan, it might as well, it might turn me off. But, you know, this fight is too big to kind of ignore. And, and I think to an extent, I think they've done a real good job sort of kind of um, taking away the fact that it is in Saudi Arabia. I don't know if, they, you know, they don't want to draw too much attention to it or, or, or something like that. But they, I do think that, you know, it's, I don't think it's going to be a common occurrence where we're going to see these types of, of fights in Saudi Arabia. But, but it, it just does feel weird. It's, you know, in a way, and I'm sure a lot of people must have felt the same way when we had the Rumble in the Jungle with Foreman and Ali, which was mm-hmm. in Zaire, which, you know, at the time, it was, you know, ruled by a sovereign state. And, you know, there was a lot of issues going on in that country as well. So, yeah. you know, I think in a way, we kind of might see this fight in a similar light to Rumble in the Jungle, where it would just a one-off event taking place in this country where it, you know on a global scale it may not have the best reputation but you know it, it is what it is you know i'm not necessarily happy that it's in saudi arabia because i think from a you know for the zone long term you know, for subscribers i think this is not the this is not the way to go if you want to you know maximize the potential outreach into the u.s which is what they desperately need by having your main event start at 4 p.m eastern yeah absolutely um okay so 
moving on from the Saudi Arabia thing, there's one other question that I had for you before I wanted to get your prediction on this fight. I thought it was interesting that Joshua decided to slim down for this fight, less weightlifting, more cardio, bag work, whatever it is. And I haven't seen very many pictures of him, but it sounds like he's really slimmed down, looks less like a like a bodybuilder, for instance. Um, and on the other hand, I, Ruiz looks exactly the same to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't so, know if there's much, much Andrew Ruiz can do about that. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I know there's YouTube videos of him, you know, eating fried chicken or fast food or something, you know, before getting on the plane to go to, uh, to, to Saudi Arabia. But what, what do you think about just the the idea that you know Joshua decided to slim down, and the on the flip side, it seems like it's business as usual for the Ruiz side. You know, to be honest, I actually like Joshua slimming down a little bit because I think one common. Uh, concern I've had for Joshua for quite some time, and you know I've had this concern, you know, even before the Vladimir Klitschko fight, was the you know the fact that in some sometimes Joshua looks too mus- mu- uh, muscularly, he's too bulky, and, and you'll hear this from you know from boxers who you know they sometimes they'll tell you you know don't focus way too much on building up your muscles because to a certain extent the muscles will get in the way, and you know and they, they'll tire. Yeah, they'll they'll tire and. And it's, you know, and it's not going to be a good look for you, you know, in the 10, 11, 12 rounds if you're just using on your muscles just to solely win a fight. So I do kind of like that Joshua is really focusing on that aspect. But I, I don't think, you know, physically there was anything wrong with Joshua in the first fight. I think it all came down to Joshua got way too anxious, got way too desperate after he dropped Andrew Ruiz because, I mean, he was controlling the fight decently well before Ruiz, you know, dropped him and ultimately won the fight. So, you know, I I like... Joshua kind of taking this approach. Hopefully he takes this, you know, long term because I think that will benefit him in the long run, not having to focus so much on building your body on this, you know, as this chiseled Adonis type mm-hmm. of guy. But, you know, if it's just for a one-off, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you really want to change your whole physique or at least certain aspects of your physique for just one guy right. where physique was never really much of an issue in, in the end result. I think it was more of a mental level laps that Anthony Joshua suffered in the first fight. Right, right. Uh, So lastly, uh, prediction. Uh, I'm sensing that most people think Joshua, uh, you know, reroutes the the situation here and, and wins the fight. And I think... I think I would agree with that, but you know, the the there is the there are the folks who think that you know Ruiz just fights in a specific way that will beat Joshua, you know, more than five times out of ten. What are your thoughts, and who are you picking? You know, there there is something to be said about you know Joshua kind of you know riding the ship, and and I think some people kind of point to the uh, the Lennox Lewis Hasim Rahman fight from like almost twenty years ago, where Lewis you know was knocked out, and then he came back and won the rematch. But you know, I, I think in this case, I, Joshua can very well win this fight, can very well knock out Andy Ruiz. But I look at 
I look at Ruiz, I look at the type of fighter that he is. And I do think that Joshua's going to take this fight much more seriously than the first time because I'm not entirely convinced that Joshua did take Andrews, you know, all too well uh, in, when it came to the first fight. But I think Ruiz is the type of fighter that, again, from... From a styles perspective, he's perfect for trying to take out a guy like Anthony Joshua. He's, you know, he's not a guy, and Doris is not a guy that's going to sit back and wait for Joshua to start attacking him. He's going to go forward. He's going to put pressure on Joshua, maybe even early on in the fight. And because Joshua is, is so long, and he's not necessarily the best fighter in the heavyweight division to fight uh, again, uh, fighting against shorter guys, I think this, I, I think this is the type of fight where Ruiz could potentially even stop Anthony Joshua again and there's no telling you know if that punch that Ruiz landed the first time around is going to happen again and I do think there might be a point where Joshua might be a little bit too tired and Ruiz is just going to come on fire and score that big right hook I think Ruiz is going to stop Anthony Joshua maybe ninth, 10th round wow yeah, I, I'm, you know, I, I may be in the minority, but I think Ruiz stops Anthony Joshua. Look, Joshua doesn't have the best chin in the world. You know, mm-hmm. a, an old, uh, passes prime, you know, two years removed from the sport, Vladimir Klitschko was able to drop Anthony Joshua. And I think Andrew Ruiz, there is something to be said about the momentum and the confidence that he's carrying into this fight. And I think he does recognize that, you know, the in a way he does have something to prove and, you know, trying to tell people this was not a fluke, that he really is the real deal. Yeah, the, no. So, so the thing that this reminds me of is in. in uh, I, I, I'm older than you, obviously. So, so you you won't you won't even remember this. There was a magazine called Sport Magazine. It was a monthly, and I, I it was the yeah. You know, I didn't get Sports Illustrated when I was a kid because that was weekly. It was more expensive, but I was able to finagle Sport Magazine. And when Buster Douglas beat Mike Tyson. The writers at Sport decided to sort of figure out who would win if you faced off Tyson and Douglas again, if you faced off Tyson and Douglas and Holyfield. And I, there was a fourth fighter. It may have been George, may have been Riddick Bowe. I don't remember who the fourth fighter was. But they were looking at this saying, you know, Buster Douglas is actually, when he is on his game, he is a hard out for anybody because of how long he is and if he's in shape and how smart of a fighter he is. So obviously we, we see what happens in when he fights Holyfield. He, he's nowhere near ready to fight Holyfield. Holyfield is the is the hungry fighter. Buster Douglas has been living off of this newfound celebrity and Holyfield easily beats him. But I always think about that when it comes to guys who have uh, maybe an underdog fighter win, wins a fight and all of a sudden has this newfound fame. Because if you take away the pomp and circumstance and just strip it down to Andy Ruiz as a boxer who has the same hunger as he did in the first fight, I think you're I think you're right in that it could follow the same pathway. But I think what happens is, at least this is how I'm seeing it, is the hunger and the uh you know, the, the something to prove is actually on the other foot now. And I th- I think what we'll see with Joshua is 
you know, when he gets hurt in that first fight, he looks like, oh, my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. I have all these people, you know, expecting so many things out of me. And I'm going to be the face of the first or second biggest upset in heavyweight boxing history. Like, I, I literally think he's thinking this while it's not going his way. And I think... What we'll see is that he's going to have to to answer some of the same problems because Ruiz is is going to be game. But I do think rather than get embarrassed, I think he gets mad. I think he figures out, okay, I, this is what I need to do. Rather than, I mean, because you know, you in the in the one night documentary, he's like constantly asking his corner, "What do I do?" Like, what, and 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 that may be from getting his bell rung a little bit, but. I think he needs to sort of take control, and um, I, I think he's going to prove that he is as good as people thought he was. And so, I I, I, I totally see where you're coming from because I, but I think he's going to have to dig deep. And I think there's going to be a moment in the fight where Ruiz starts tagging him, and people go, "Uh oh, here we go again." But I think Joshua is 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 uh, talented enough, and I think he'll fight smartly enough to where he's either going to, uh, you know. To, to come back from something and and maybe put Ruiz out or he'll 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 do it late in the fight just because of fighting smartly like you said earlier which should be the strategy but you know n- no matter my prediction versus your prediction I think what we have here is a fascinating story that because it is in Saudi Arabia and because it is in DAZN and is not a pay-per-view fight is probably getting covered a little bit less than 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 it should but to me, it's, it's super compelling and I'm fired up. Absolutely. I mean, I'm also, I'm, I'm very, I'm, for the fight itself, I'm very excited about it. And listen, and I do think that there is, you know, the game plan for Joshua to win, it, it's there. And, you know, and I thought that in my opinion on Joshua, you know, his keys to win the fight, it remains unchanged from the first fight. So Joshua has has the tools to win and, he, and even before the Andrew Ruiz fight I thought he was the best heavyweight in the world so if he beats Ruiz again you know I'm, I would not be shocked at one iota if even even knocks out Andrew Ruiz because I think he's more than capable of doing so yeah. So where can people find you uh, if they want to follow along to what you're doing around the fight? I'm assuming you're going to be following it live and writing about it live and tweeting about it live. Where's all the places that people can find you? you I mainly tweet. So you can follow me on Twitter at Carlos Toro 360. So that's Toro T-O-R-O because I'm sure there have been plenty of people that don't know how to pronounce that name or spell that name. So it's Carlos T-O-R-O 360. On Twitter, and yeah, I will definitely have a whole lot of it. Uh, I will definitely be writing and tweeting a lot about the fight. Probably going to be even doing a live podcast after the fight. So I'm really excited about that fight. All right, man. I really appreciate you jumping on, and uh, I definitely would love to have you back uh, soon to talk about all the crazy stuff that's going on in the sport. Absolutely. I, you know, thanks so much for having me here. I've been a huge fan of, you know, listening to this podcast, the podcast that you've done with Big Dave on, on Wrestling Observer Radio. So, yeah, anytime you want me on, I'm here. All right. So thanks to Carlos. And we will take a quick break. 
All right, the holiday rush is here. You have to be able to ship orders out quickly, efficiently, and affordably, especially if you have loved ones that, you know, don't live next to you or don't live close by. But how do you keep track of all those orders, decide which shipping carrier to use, or if you're getting the best rates? Luckily, ShipStation can help. Say that two times fast. With just a few clicks, you'll be managing orders, printing labels, and getting those products out the door and delivered in time for the holidays. ShipStation works with all of those major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, and you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. So take the hassle out of holiday shipping this year. Let ShipStation help you handle it all with ease. Just use my offer code BLUE, B-L-U-E, to get a 60-day free trial. That's two months free of no-hassle, stress-free holiday shopping. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com. Enter the offer code BLUE. ShipStation. Make ship happen. All right, last segment of the show. Uh, quickly, just 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 before we get to the raw segment, there is a little bit of UFC news that I wanted to wanted to talk about, which is Brian Ortega is out of the December twenty first uh, main event in South Korea against the Korean Zombie, and Frankie Edgar replaces him. So Frankie Edgar will face the Korean Zombie uh, at one hundred and forty five pounds. The interesting thing is, is Edgar's also scheduled for a fight uh, on the 25th against Corey Sanhagen, and that fight is at 135 pounds, so I kind of wonder if if that's going to happen, especially if, you know, we, we've seen Korean zombie fights, and unless he either gets knocked out quickly, which they probably wouldn't let him fight so soon, or if he knocks Korean zombie out quickly, which maybe, I, I don't know if that's going to happen, but uh, I don't know if he's going to fight that uh, January 25th fight. But anyway, so that 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 is the 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 major UFC news of the uh, of the day. And then on this weekend, there are two shows. Um, one is a KSW show. Uh, if you have uh, DAZN, I think it'll probably be on DAZN. And then there is a uh, fight night. So fight night is on. Uh, the prelims start on ESPN Plus, and the main show is actually on Big ESPN. So if you don't have ESPN Plus and you're itching for some UFC, here is your opportunity. Alistair Overeem against a uh, 9-0 guy, heavyweight, who's uh, 3-0 in the UFC, last knocked out, Andre Arlovsky, Rosenstruck, I think is the way you pronounce his name, but that's the that's the big that's a big fight this week. And then obviously next weekend is uh, UFC 245, which we will talk about uh, and do a little bit of a preview next week. So the last segment on our show is the Raw 1993 from December 6th, which is, uh, like we mentioned, the Bobby the Brain Heenan farewell show. And the the way that they tell someone farewell on in WWE TV is, uh, you know, this is not he's not getting his trophy here, people. Um, he's going out and he's uh, he, he's getting thrown out, basically. So the act that the intro to the show is basically Heenan. You know, Monsoon, uh, Vince teasing that Monsoon is, is is around and is upset at all the things that Bobby has said about him. Uh, and, you know, Bobby's making jokes about, oh, you know, that big ape and all this stuff. Uh, also in the in the intro is this angle with uh, 
Razor Ramon against Diesel, where Shawn Michaels and Shawn Waltman, the one, two, three kid, interfered to set up Shawn Michaels versus the one, two, three kid as the first match on this show. And the first thing that I noticed when uh, when both guys came out, I was like, huh, Shawn is not fat anymore. He actually looks pretty good, doesn't have that belly and uh, hopefully is uh, in, in better health and, and all that. Um, so the match is actually it's actually a pretty fun match. It's not, you know, the you know, maybe if you think back because, you know, both of their careers, like, you think, oh, you know, Shawn and one, two, three kid. That's probably like one of the best Raw matches of all time. It wasn't that, but it was still a, a fun match. Um, maybe my favorite moment is Kid jumping off the top rope and kind of trying to do this like I think he, he I think he was trying to do a drop kick and then Sean drop kicking him low to uh, before Kid gets him. I thought that was a pretty sweet move just from a, a timing standpoint. Um, and then the story of the match is that, you know, as Sean is dominating, he hits a razor's edge on the kid. And instead of pinning him, he pulls him up and he's like, no, I'm going to hit another razor's edge. I'm going to really, you know, make fun of Razor Ramon here. Hits another razor's edge. And then he gets him set up for a third one. And Razor, who is wearing this amazing button up shirt and just amazing colors in his clothing attire. Uh, he blocks the, uh, he blocks the third razor's edge and it's on. And they, uh, they, he and he and Sean duke it out and they go to the back. And then when you get to the back, you see the curtain diesel throws a big right hand pops razor sets up Sean, giving him the razor's edge on the floor heat on top of heat uh, to open the show and my favorite line is after Diesel throws this right hand at Razor Heenan's like um, I didn't see anything like how do you know that was Diesel are you sure like he's like you know playing playing that role um, so I described the match what were your thoughts on it Oh, the match was good. Like I said, it wasn't uh, people probably thinking, oh, wow, it's going to be a great match, you know, because like we said, we know the people now that know their history. Uh, I thought uh, Sean Waltman, 123K, was rushing early on. I didn't realize how bad his punches were early on in his career. Mm -hmm. Do some really bad punches. And in that, that mistimed, uh, he was rushing. Sean was in position yet, and he's rushed to do the uh, Silver King, Silver uh, King uh, dive out where he jumps from inside the ring to the outside of the ring. And, yeah. And that's like, it's like Sean had to like you know, move it forward to kind of help cover and he just goes, they, I think they almost clashed heads. It was, it was looked pretty, looked pretty stiff and nasty. Uh, but the match was fine. It was good. It was fun. I liked the angle at the end. I thought that was really good. I just didn't understand why they decided to make it such a mystery, even though it wasn't really a big mystery because you can see Diesel. But they made it to where, like, I mean, they're just trying to think, oh, are they, maybe they're trying to make you think, like, are these guys back together again or something like that? But I always thought they were together again anyways because what yeah, happened last too. week. Yeah, so I, totally. thought, I thought it was interesting how they had Diesel get involved. But other than that, that was really good. Every match, Sean has got to take some bump to the floor right on his back. Like, that's his like that's his shtick in, in WWE. God, he takes that back uh, bump over the top rope so so good. I mean, it's just, mm -hmm. like, it's just perfect. It's not as my favorite is DiBiase's bump over the top rope backwards but uh but sean's geez, he's right there uh the quebecers face the team of bert centeno and mike walsh and jacques is making fun of centeno's height which obviously fires up centeno and he gets a few a few things in um there's a couple brutal elite i mean you tell me maybe these aren't as brutal as they looked and maybe these guys are just great but 
Pierre does this front flip leg drop off the top rope on uh, on Centeno, and it looked like death to me. Like, what, did did he did, did it look as was it as stiff as it looked to me? The leg drop, yeah. Uh, I thought I, that, I thought it looked fine. I thought um, it just looks so heavy. Yeah, yeah. He well, he's a heavy guy, and he just goes down. <laughs> he doesn't really, <laughs> you know, like like we used to say about this uh, uh, old APW wrestler end up being in Noah Donovan Morgan. He doesn't he doesn't fly. He falls. That's basically. <laughs> um, but um, I, I thought this match was it was it was fun. Um, I liked uh, Brian Walsh is a good a good worker who's always a you know always look good and like you know he's probably like a good worker on the indies but like here he just probably didn't have the charisma or the the look to be you know anything in the major leagues but i you know he's he's definitely a good a good solid worker to you know in the ring and then i i don't remember if this was centeno or walsh but they stick him in like a lawn chair was, and he's uh, sitting centeno, there yeah he's sitting there and then uh, and then they they hit a clothesline on him yeah. Uh, after the match is over. So they're teasing or they're promoting the January 22nd Royal Rumble, which we will not be covering because we are off of the Raw 90. We're not we're not going to watch Raw 94, but that is the famous or infamous, depending on your perspective, uh, Royal Rumble where Lex and Bret Hart tie and which sets up their WrestleMania 10 uh, to the two matches, Yokozuna and Lex and then Yokozuna and Brett. Uh, Owen does an interview and this is so great because he does not take Brett's sunglasses off while he's doing the interview, you know, giving him a little bit of a, even a more heelish vibe. Uh, he said that he has a surprise that will make everyone talk about him. And I don't think they got to the surprise uh, by the end of the show. So probably saving it for next week. Um, but yeah, I mean, Owen is working very well in this new role of this, you know, this guy who believes that he's 100% right and in his mind believes he's a babyface but comes off as a as a prickish heel. Yeah, no, I agree. I thought it was good and it's nice. I mean, it's been a while since I watched any Owen Hart stuff, so looking forward to watching and seeing him again and seeing him in this character. I do know what happens later on and they kind of, you know, I remember this angle and I remember being, oh, cool, they're, you know, well, we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks, but yeah, no, I thought that that was really it was really cool, good promo. Doink faces Tony DeVito, and Heenan goes, "Is that Basil <laughs> again?" Uh, yeah, again. Uh, Vince McMahon does a Star Wars read, yeah, because the first uh, episodes four, five, and six they are showing on the USA Channel, so Vince does a read about Star Wars, which is pretty timely for us. Um, lots of Doink, the scientific wrestler, in this match. He's he's in there with Dink. The Dink is in his corner, but lots. Lots of uh, lots of holds and and scientific wrestling from Doink. A pretty good match for uh, for uh, you know a, a quasi squash match, and and then uh, Doink hits the butt drop for the win. Yeah, I thought this was just way too long, too many, too much holds. He's putting the sugar hold. He's just stretching Tony DeVito, and I don't know why they have a little dink like on the hard cam side like <laughs> facing the hard cam when he's bouncing on the rope I thought that was kind of weird I think he could, it would have been better if he was in the background more so he's that. the same guy as uh, as Macho Man's little yeah, guy right yeah same guy yeah definitely Macho Midget <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, Jeff Jarrett is at the Legends Hall of Fame shop. He sees a guy playing the sax, you know, with the, with the hat out, mm-hmm. uh, and the guy's name is Waldo. And you know, he's he's 
basically telling Waldo, you know, you 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 probably aren't uh, don't get enough respect just like me. I'm the best guy out here. I'm going to be a star. They're holding me back. And when he does the J E double F J A double R E double T, this is the first time in in those that we saw where he gives the little ha ha. So it's J E ha ha double F. So he he will that will I think that becomes a thing where he does the ha ha all the time in in the in the promo and the reading of his name. But uh, yeah, I mean he's he's not wrestled yet. We've seen tons of Jeff Jarrett. These segments range from being pretty good to pretty lame i thought this one was pretty lame and i'm just kind of like okay i think it's time for you to show up and wrestle yeah yeah it's time but it was also it was a kick for me to see uh the the french angel the angel um french angel frank morrell as his buddy that 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 was a longtime wrestler and ended up being uh in his career as a a referee in the swa so So are you telling me that waldo was not a former memphis guy i don't remember him being i I thought maybe it was gonna be brickhouse brown i first saw but he was (laughs) brickhouse brown's a little bigger than him muscular wise at least so crush faces tony roy and they say uh before uh, for next week macho man is coming back to raw as a wrestler he's facing fatu and uh, macho man is ready so during this match bobby heenan said that crush uh i'm sorry that mr fuji celebrates pearl harbor <laughs> gosh macho man calls in from the uk and uh he's talking about coming back and he's talking about crush and they do this thing where um since it's supposed to be in the uk and i think i think the uk is probably what like i don't know seven or eight hours ahead of the united states and so if you're thinking that raw starts at nine then this is probably like three in the morning or something yeah and so to to make to keep kayfabe macho man says that he is so wired that he cannot sleep and that's why he is available uh, Crush wins with the Snake Eyes on the uh, hits uh, Tony Roy uh, head on the top turnbuckle with the Snake Eyes. So, see, you know, it's kind of interesting to see him and you know Bam Bam Bigelow. We mentioned last week guys who have different kind of finishers uh, for for them to win matches. Uh, I kind of like that. Yeah, I think they're just trying to figure out a finisher for him. They ended up settling on the heart punch. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a weird commercial with a uh, with a guy. Uh, I don't even know if they gave him a name, but basically he's like, oh, you know that Razor Ramon's not tough. And then Razor has him in a in, in a ring, and then he comes back with like a black eye, and he's ah oh, that HBK isn't tough. And then he gets super kicked, and he's got another black eye, and then he goes ah oh, that you know that Yoko is just a fatso. He's not tough. And then he comes back, and he's like all beat up. So I don't I don't I guess what was there. A situation in 1993 where people were like, ah, these WWF guys aren't tough. They're all fake and phony. Yeah, I wonder who the indie wrestler was they used for that. Maybe Nick Mahmood knows. Yeah, he was a little older, so I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he, he wasn't like a young guy. Yeah. I, I wrote it as Palooka Joe. That's <laughs> that's the name that I gave him. Yeah. Um, so next week, they say, uh, Vince says that uh, The Undertaker, Adam Bomb, and The Smoking Guns are on the show. And... If you notice, there's like three minutes left on the show when it they usually go, you know, they usually end the show and they go home. And so I'm looking, I'm like, when's the gorilla thing going to happen? Like, I thought maybe I forgot and it was the following week, but nope, there's three minutes left. Gorilla comes out. 
Bobby is petrified, and then when Gorilla gets there, he's like, oh, my friend, Gorilla. Um, so Gorilla says that Bobby has won a free trip, and he grabs him. He uh, he takes him down, back down the aisle, into the into the back, and out the door, and he throws Bobby out and throws all of his gear out. Well, what was actually funny is, is as Gorilla is trying to hold on to Bobby and then grab Bobby's gear, he basically doesn't have any hands left to mm-hmm. open the door. So Bobby opens the door <laughs> for him, uh, which was kind of funny, and um, throws Bobby out. Bobby does a couple of Dick Van Dyke slip falls. You know, Dick Van Dyke and uh, John Ritter kind of trips. You know, those kind of trips. And uh, and then he's really sad and he gives a little salute as a farewell and that is Bobby the Brain Heenan's last hosting of Raw because I think he comes back somewhere after WCW gets bought out um, but he was more in like segments I don't I don't remember if he, he actually did ever gimmick, did he did the gimmick battle royal right but that was on Wrestlemania oh, okay that wasn't on Raw right yeah, he did he ever did come back to Raw to do a segment yeah I think he might have done some backstage stuff with like Mean Gene or something like that. Quick little things, you know. I don't. I, I don't think he did anything of that are too memorable. But other than the gimmick battle royal, I mean, um, he may have. He may have done a match or something on Raw to, si- to yeah, set maybe. up that WrestleMania. Yeah. But I, I don't remember it. But uh, he, it's possible. Yeah. And so, um, did you see who replaces him for next week? No, I haven't. I haven't gone that far yet. Jim Cornette. Oh, good. That'd be yeah, great. That's a, I was I was about to be sad. I was like, oh God, who are they gonna? Who's gonna be there? Is it gonna be um, Johnny Polo or Todd Pettengill? Todd Pettengill <laughs> or one of those guys? And I was like, oh, Cornette. Okay, not you know, not not sad. You know, it doesn't make me sad. It's actually cool. This segment was sad though. Like it was. It was really sad. I just it's just one of those things. Like I know Vince wanted to change things up, but like Bobby still had a lot to give. You know, mm-hmm. especially in the and, WWF. And they, you know, and, and I think a lot of this was they wanted guys to be in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't going to, I don't think they were going to give Heenan a raise and the fact that they, that he had to like, fl- they had to fly him in and stuff from Florida where I think that's where he lived was in Florida at the time. I think that was a big part of it as well. And just, you know, WWE, you know, Vince is going through some hard times right now. And they're cutting, they're cutting a lot of corners. I mean, that's the same reason why Mean Gene is gone, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. so, you know, they're they're creating an opportunity for the competition to uh, to grab some of their guys. And it's interesting which, seeing uh, Bobby Heenan break kayfabe and start tearing up, like legit. Like that was the the, the tears and the and the waving off. Like was that was he got a little emotional right there on camera, you know, because this was his last last segment on this you know what he really you know he built his name of course in awa and whatnot but like i mean he became this national you know recognized personality from being in the wwf it's you know pretty emotional for him uh yeah no uh and and it was um like if you we remember you know we started covering this uh i forget what the first date of raw was like a couple weeks into january and Heenan's not on the show. It's Macho Man. It's Vince. And who's who's the third Bartlett. guy? We, Bartlett. Rob Bartlett. We kept yeah. making fun of him. Yeah. And, you know, he the, the, the shtick is that Heenan's trying to find his way on the show. And he can't get on the show. They're, they're not letting him in. And then finally Bartlett's gone. And Heenan's, you know, I think Bartlett, uh, I can't remember. Did, he, did Heenan and Bartlett do shows together? Uh, I think they did a couple. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Then, they, then they transitioned out. Or... <sighs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure they did. I think they did something together. 
Um, anyways, you know, you can go through the archives and listen to the very <laughs> beginning of our of our raw '93. Uh, I mean, gosh, we've been how many how many shows is this now that we that we've reviewed of raw? Yes, it seems like we just this year went by really fast. Like totally, just, and probably because we're doing the show and all this other stuff's going on in my life. It just life's been going really fast. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so usually this is where we kind of end the show, but I have a little bit of a of a. A you know, twelve-minute thing mm-hmm. to uh, to end to to pad the end of this show. Um, I think it'll be pretty meaningful for some folks who live in the Bay Area and who know you a little bit, who've who've been to your shows. Uh, when we go out to uh, when we went out to the New Japan show the other uh, couple weeks ago, I uh, like you. I think you got more like what's <laughs> ups than even Big Dave did. Like everyone knew you. So you know those of you who are in the in in Northern California. California and who, whether you saw John, you know, as a as actual a, a worker, a manager, or if you were just APW fan or, or a fan of Premier and you and you saw his booking, um, I'm going to add the end uh, or the the full speech uh, recorded by uh, your wife. Katrina had the the cell phone out, <laughs> and um, you know there's 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 a couple of comments uh, you'll you'll hear her in the background, uh, but. It's it's your full speech. So AJ Kirsch uh, announces you, and he inducts you. He there's a little bit of a of a podcast mention there, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you come out and you cut a really good speech, and I think it's uh, I think people will will dig it. You know, you you talk about a lot. You talk about your career. You talk about all the people who were influential. You talked about all the people you worked with, all the boys. You know, you talked about Tom and you know Jeff, and then when you did premiere. So I think people will get a kick out of it. So I wanted just to add it to the end of this. Um, and you know, look, we we are how many other podcasts can say they have a Hall of Famer on it? So <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was cool man it was a good night it was uh, uh i'm just i'm too humble for stuff like this but it was it was fun man it was good to get the boys back together especially you know we had, like we i think we did the we're like we haven't all been together like this in like five years so yeah um it was it was fun it was a fun time a lot of laughs and um and then even the dinner afterwards like i got a little bit emotional when we were leaving uh, I actually drove up with Tom and his wife Sharon and Katrina. You know, I was a little worried. It was it was raining out that night, and you know, Pacheco was like an hour away, and I was a little worried. But um, she really wanted to be there for me, so my father-in-law drove her up there, and I'm glad she was there. I'm really I'm, that made me made me extremely happy. Um, and you know, they got there safe and everything. So I was my anxiety was <laughs> pretty going big time before the show because I was mostly worried about her. And so they made it safe, which was great. And afterwards, you know, she went home and gave me my time with the boys and we went out to dinner and you know told old stories and had some laughs and you know as we're all like saying like i like it was like we're wrapping up dinner i'm like i don't want this night to end dude i mm-hmm. wanted to keep going and i want to hit a bar or something <laughs> like I just, wanted, I just wanted to keep it going so um i really i'm really passionate about uh next year probably in the summertime to book a reunion with the guys and plan something out and um to get to do that because i think we need to do that at least once a year to kind of get the boys together and i think it'd be good because now we're all i mean we're all married and you know most of us have kids and so i think it'd be a lot of fun to get everyone together our families and just and just and just and just celebrate life you know 
Yeah, well, I I just want to say congratulations, uh, and uh, I thought the speech was really good. And uh, you and I, we'll, we'll, we're done here, but uh, listen after we sign off, because you'll be able to hear the speech. So, for John, I am Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out. John LaRocca has always put the show first. If it's good for the show, it's going to happen. And there's a lot of BS that happens in and around professional wrestling. And LaRocca is able to put all that aside and do what's best for the show. And that is a rare, rare find in professional wrestling. So at this time, ladies and gentlemen, it is a great honor to induct into the NorCal Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame class of 2019 a manager, a promoter, a booker, and the co-host of the Fight Game Podcast with Garrett Gonzalez on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, Johnny LaRocca! Well, thank you everyone for being here. Thank you to everyone on the NorCal Hall of Fame board for... uh, they got me to this. It's a very special moment, especially with all my friends tonight. It was awesome. Um, a little nerve-wracking today. My wife is like nine months pregnant right now. I'm about to pop, and she's here. And Ooh. so I have to leave early. I have to leave early, you know what happened. Uh, the first people I want to thank around the bat people that uh, started me out in this business. It was Roland Alexander. Mike Lockwood. Michael Modest, Robert Thompson, Vic Grimes, they're the ones that open this business to me, explain things. I remember, I mean, a long time working with those guys, talking to them, they taught me the right way. Um, I ended up starting off as a volunteer for Rolling APW, like a lot of volunteers do, and just cut my teeth there. And finally, I got put in the color commentary position at APW with my friend Jeremy Harris, you might know him as Germs. And we had like a. You know, it was a pretty straightforward commentary team. Then one day, I decided to be a little more lenient to a tag team called the Mafia. And so they're like, we like that, we like that. Keep going, keep doing that, keep doing it. And all of a sudden, one day I showed up to a gym where now I'm a manager. They want me to go out there and interfere in a match and cause distraction and all this shit. So, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> when I remember wrestling, I cussed a lot on part. I'm sorry about that. Um, so that's our managing event. That's Marco. And Chris Coleone, I'm gonna talk about. I'm gonna talk about Venezuela later, but Chris Coleone, man, that's true pro. Chris Cole, his real name, and he was so good. He taught me so much as a manager, what to do out there, what to be. And he really took care of me. Chris was one of the best here. A lot of people probably don't remember him, but they should. I mean, he was a, a true, true worker, and he can do everything in the ring, and he was such a ring general. Then. I became the manager of Ego. And when I first was put with Nate and AJ, I was a little worried because I know them when we were a friend. We got, you know, we see each other in the locker room. But how the chemistry are going to be, right? How are we going to work together? And it worked like peanut butter and jelly, man. I mean, we had so much fun. We worked with so many great people. And I just absolutely loved going out there with those guys. And you got Nate, who was crazy, a big meathead. I freaking love him. I wish he was here today. Get AJ, who I loved his long hair until we cut it off in the hair match. <laughs> but we just went all up down California, we went to Vegas, we did a lot of cool shots, and, and it was definitely one of my favorite, favorite moments of wrestling. And then with wrestling, you get a brotherhood. And I love 
seeing beyond, like when I was looking at UW, we see the new group of boot camp students and their little clique, their little group, and it just always made me feel good because there's this brotherhood you get as a pro wrestler, there's these guys you grew up with, and that's, for me, we used to call each other the San Jose crew, that's Tom Caster, JJ Perez, Derek Sanders, Kafu, and Tio Kino, and you know who's not from San Jose, Alder John, I put it in that, uh, category and Tom you know Tom and I are best friends we would watch wrestling together talk about wrestling I mean, we, 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 we ate we slept wrestling and you know I'm still proud of Tom you know he came on the dream now he's an NC referee and he just he's just the same Tom I've always known so we, we talk every day and I'm so happy that he made this trip out there and I'm so happy he's here with his group and Jacob Perez, if all you young kids out there, young wrestlers, you've never seen Jacob Perez, and you got to look out for his foot stuff because JJ was one of the very best in the ring. He was also a great trainer. He trained a lot of great wrestlers. And then my boy Derek Sanders, I mean, if, you, if you're ever nervous at a show or worried, Derek Sanders is always there to keep the mood light in the locker room, no matter what stupid crap we had to do. And, and he's one of my best friends. And Kafu was a good leader for us. Kafu got, I remember we were in Vegas for a show and the promoter was kind of being like, if he's about to pay, well, Kafu went right to that hotel room. We, the, let me say, we got to pay. <laughs> and Tio Kino, our little brother, our little meathead brother, oh man, he's got married recently. He's a graduation of Tito. Uh, what a good super talent, man. What a good talent. He had natural ability. I remember when I first saw him, I was asked, like, when did, how long has he been wrestling for? He only had six matches at the time. Such a natural. And then Oliver John, one of my favorite people in the world, talk wrestling with, hang out with, a leader, a brother, um, who's always been there for me and still is to this day. And then soon after that, after a wrestle, I hurt my neck. You know, really serious injury that I still deal with pain every day. I don't really try to show it too much. I mean, I show it to my wife and everyone else. I don't really talk about it too much. But uh, you know, I don't know what my future is going to be. But I'm a little worried about that. But we'll, you know, we'll just try to take that when it comes. But uh, um, I ended up being booking for all pro wrestling, and Roland really gave me a leeway to book, and I had enjoyed it so much because even though I love be a manager and performing my thing was always the creative and I love working with the boys and I love working with the young kids like you know a, a Matt Carlos a Dave Dutra a Dylan Drake taking Dylan Drake from being a ring announcer to the main event guy everywhere in this area uh, Timothy Thatcher Jordy Christopherson and the list goes on and on I also want to thank the production crew Shane Mai man who was always there work hard every show And then, after I stopped booking off for wrestling in 2012, I was basically done. I really didn't want to get involved, but uh, my friend, Matt De La Rosa, came to me with this idea, like, hey, you should do your own show. And I was like, I don't know, it's a lot of work and a lot of stress, but we came up with a whole plan, and I, but I had a certain way I wanted to do it. I wanted to be, uh, you know, about the athletics. I wanted to be able to score among the wins and losses mean something. We did a top 10 ranking on stuff, and it was a lot of fun. And he started with me, but then he got a job with the UFC, and then, and then we did one show. But then Daniel Martinez stepped in, and he was great. He worked on production, and helped with the budget, and helped with getting the buildings, and did a lot of stuff behind the scenes. So without Daniel Martinez, 
premiere wouldn't have lasted as long as it did. And most important about premiere, I couldn't do it without supporting my wife, Katrina. Um, she met me uh, post, I mean, I was still involved in wrestling, but it was more like, I was still in it with the booking ABW, so she was still managing stuff, all the craziness. She probably wouldn't have dated me if she saw the managing stuff. <laughs> uh, she's been my rock, she's my best friend. I love her to death, and she's uh, such an awesome mom to our kids. And now we have another one coming. Three kids, holy cow. <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> And Premier, I mean, I had a great roster, the best roster ever, in my opinion, because, like, there's no drama, no ego, no no conflict. I gave them a finish, they did it. I gave them time, they didn't complain. Everyone worked so hard, and everyone was so was just so so loving and taught everyone. It was such a great locker room. And, you know, guys like Jeff Cobb, you know, my brother, um, J.R. Kratos, who took that championship and made it really mean something. I mean, he was fantastic, and he's such a great talent. Of course, Timothy Thatcher, Joe Graves, who works in Vegas now, but, you know, he's come the long drive of the Arizona crew. I'm talking about Gabriel Gallo, Don Vitale, Hammerstone, and Joe Graves. They came out there, and they worked really hard on those long 13-hour drives. It's it really brutal, but they came out here. And the ladies, I was really into the book and the ladies. I really want to feature athletic women that could do great things. So big up to Nicole Savoy, Ruby Reyes, and Shayna Baszler for really just putting that premier division on, on, on notice. And we got a lot of attention for that. And I appreciate that. And we're really good friends right now. And they're doing great stuff. I uh, also want to thank Sparky Ballard. Always got to... Him and his team always got the ring on time, even though he didn't forget the mat one time, but he... <laughs> but he busted his ass and all the other decisions good, grabbed that mat, brought it back. I always had a heart attack, but the show went on and it was a good show, so... And then, um, the free crew, all fantastic, professional, great guys and gals. Um, I want to thank the volunteers. Uh, I want to thank specifically Serena and Heather. Uh, you know, through APW, through Premier, like, you know, they just did it for the love of their friends and their family. So thank you, thank you ladies for doing that. I really appreciate it. And um, when Premier slowed down and I, you know, I was pretty much done again. You know, I got a phone call from Marcus Mack and he said, hey, you want to come back? You want to do some wrestling still? And I was like, always no, no, no. But finally, he said, "Come on, man, let's do it." So it was a it was a such great time to book at Marcus, and I pre thank you for letting me come back to book the Cow Palace and to do that. That was that was freaking fantastic. And and Marcus is still doing great things for ABW, and I know Roland's so happy looking down. And I want to thank the fans, because without them, we wouldn't be, we'd be doing this in front of nobody. Um, people in Pacific, Robert Counts, the Matthew family, Garrett Souza, the Terrace family, I mean, all the fans that came out to support all pro wrestling, premiere, and all the other indie shows around this area. I mean, without you guys, we just can't do this. And I appreciate your support and your passion. And, you know, let's just keep working hard. I hope all the young kids in the audience, the trainees, are going to do their 
homework, they're gonna they're gonna um, study their film, listen to their trainers, and go out get trained in other different areas. Don't be stuck in your own school. Respect your own school. But if you have an opportunity to train with other people, go do that because it's good to get all the different different things from different schools. You'll learn a lot, and it's hard. You know, this is not the old days where guys work seven days a week. You know, you work a couple weekends, you know, a month. So you have to do your best to get the experience and go out there and get your stuff together, work out, get your body together, get your passports together, and, you know, because you never know what's going to happen in this business. And be ready with your medicals because it's going to be such calling. You better be ready to go and do some extra work, all right? All right, thank you so much. Thank you, Flocka Loco. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.